Good morning, Grace. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we do lift our gaze up to you because you are the all-satisfying God. And we begin a new series today, God, where we want to lift our gaze up to you and to see you for who you are, the almighty, eternal, triune God. Help us to know you better today after looking at your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we begin a new preaching series, which I've titled Deep Things, Delighting in the Triune God. And we're beginning this series because here's the deal. There's always change happening in our world. Change is always happening. And we want to spend the next several months looking at the eternal God who never changes We've been doing that this past week by spending time in prayer every evening. And we want to begin the year also by looking at his word, studying God for who he has revealed himself to be. There's one God eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So we're going to spend the next several months going deep down into the doctrine of God. We're going to dig down deep into his word and we're going to start the new year By studying the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now you may be wondering, why study the Trinity? Why spend several months or so looking at the doctrine of God, specifically that God is triune? The answer is simply this, because we need to know God. As strange as it seems, there are Christians who do not really know the God who has saved them from their sins. Sure, they they sing worship songs to Him, they pray to Him, they serve Him, they read His Word, they tell people about Him, but they don't really know Him. It's very strange, but it's true. So I would suggest that our attempts at worshiping him will be limited and shallow if we do not have a correct understanding of who God is, a correct understanding of the triune God. R.C. Sproul said it this way, Unless we know God deeply, we cannot love him deeply. I want to know and love God more this year. And I hope you do too. There has always been a problem with the people of God that we forget that we are called to know and love him. Richard Phillips highlights this in his book, Turning Back the Darkness, the biblical pattern of reformation, where speaking of the Israelites as they were settling in and moving into the promised land, he says this about them and their struggle to know God. He said, all of this would have been hard work, moving into the promised land, coming out of the wilderness. And when they gathered together on the Lord's day, they had much on their minds. I think we can imagine the Levite of that day stepping up to the ancient equivalent of the pulpit to speak to the people. Before and after his message, he would have heard the kind of advice that preachers get today, heeding it only at great danger to their flock. Pastor, give us something relevant. We don't need theology and doctrine, but instead practical things to help us do better in our lives. There's always a temptation to believe 
that knowledge of God is impractical, of little value in our lives. Our sinful nature conspires with worldly influences to lead our attention away from God and to ourselves. Our work, our relationships, our hobbies, our difficulties, these are the important things, says the folly in our hearts. But the story of Israel tells us that nothing is more practical to the people of God, nothing more essential, nothing more fruitful or beneficial than the knowledge of God and his ways in salvation. This is what Israel needed to hear preached just as we need it today. This is what they needed to study. This was the true and great pursuit of their age as it is in every age. To know the Lord, to remember the living God, to hold fast to his saving works, and to pass this faith on to their children as the most vital legacy that one could possibly leave. The lesson for us is plain. Deformation starts with a failure to proclaim the knowledge of God and his salvation. The pressing need of any day is preaching and teaching that is about God and not about man. That focuses on salvation from sin and not solutions to the issues and problems in the newspapers and magazines. The people of God have always struggled to understand that they need to know their God. The sad thing is that there are even pastors out there who do not understand God. They do not understand the importance of the doctrine of the triune God. For instance, several years ago when I was pastoring in Texas, I was asked by a seminary student to answer a few questions about the Trinity for his class project at Dallas Seminary, where where I went to seminary. This is what he asked me. Does the doctrine of the Trinity tangibly influence your ministry? If so, how? Have you taught this doctrine? How so? How about in your personal life? I want to read the response email from this student after I answered his questions. I'm not trying to toot my horn or the horn of Dallas Seminary. This is how he replied. Benji, you might be interested to know that everyone in my group had pretty much the same results. It pretty much seemed like DTS graduates responded with depth, understanding, and personal application. Everyone else presented a basic knowledge of the Trinity. To be honest with you, it was pretty scary to read the other interviews after reading yours. Whether the congregation knows it or not, they are trusting their pastors to teach them in depth the Trinity. From the responses of the other pastors, I have to think their flocks are starving. What a sad commentary. This is why we're going to spend so much time looking at the doctrine of God. Because we need to be fed with the truth that there is one God eternally existent in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, God has revealed Himself as the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Spirit. And because He has revealed Himself this way, He must have felt that it was important for us to truly know Him as He is, as triune. Does it make a difference in your life? Absolutely. Because if you have a faulty or limited view of God, it will affect 
every area of your life. That's why we're embarking on this study of the triune God. Because I love you so much as a pastor that I want more than anything for you to know the God that has saved you. For you to know God as he is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There was a study once of almost 4,000 seminary students between two seminaries. And out of those 4,000 students, only 1.5%, out of 4,000, could ever recall their pastor ever teaching them about the Trinity. How sad. I've been haunted by the words of one of my professors from seminary, Dr. Jeff Bingham, who I am indebted to. Anything I have to say usually has his fingerprints all over it, especially in this series. He has shaped my thinking in many ways, especially about the Trinity. These were the words that have haunted me since they came from his lips in a classroom. He says, does your pastor love you enough to teach you about the triune God? Ever since I heard that question in class, I was determined, wherever I am in ministry, I'm going to teach people about the Trinity. I've wanted to do this series for some time, and now the time has come because I love you enough, Grace, to teach you about the triune God and not try to teach you about something relevant or practical or do some cool series. That's the temptations of pastors. How, if I teach on the Trinity, how is that going to relate? It is a very, your very Christian life hangs on the fact that God is triune. We're going to see how the Trinity relates to one another and, and the fellowship and the love that exists between them and what a difference that will make in our lives. And I trust by God's grace you will begin to marvel at the Father and marvel at the Son and marvel at the Spirit. And as you see them relating to one another, as they relate together in relational community, it is fascinating. It is far from boring and it will change your life. It will change your relationships. It will change the way you relate to other people. We will see how exciting it is. The Trinitarian God relates to one another and then we will begin to love and delight in this God. The doctrine of the Trinity is very practical. It will change our lives. Yes, we'll have questions. Yes, our brains will hurt trying to comprehend the Trinity. How is God both three in one? There is mystery there, but we must embark on this study. Is there any other subject that you should spend the rest of your life trying to understand? Is there any other subject in the world you should spend your energies on than trying to understand and love and value and enjoy and delight in the Trinitarian God. That's what I'm praying for us in this series, that by the end of this series we'll say, I know God more. I delight in Him more. I enjoy Him more as the triune God. So I hope your affections as we go through this series, will burst forth. I hope your heart will explode in love and adoration of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because the truth is, if we don't understand, and we don't know, and we don't delight in God, then we are just being cruel to ourselves. If we don't know and understand and delight in and enjoy the Trinitarian God, we are just being cruel to ourselves. 
This is what J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. We are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world then becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life, blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. So let's stop being cruel to ourselves and let's start digging down deep into the deep things of God. Our big idea today, and we're finally getting it to it, Drown out what you know of God and you'll drown in your sin. If you drown out and try to ignore and suppress what you know of God, then you will drown in your own sin. If you try and suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. Or you could say it this way, the way we said it when we saw it with Naomi in the book of Ruth, is that the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 with me. Hear the words of the eternal God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Notice first that Paul says God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. That includes every human being born into this world. We are all sinners and God's holy wrath stands over every single one of us because we're rebels by nature. Second, Paul says, what does our righteousness, our unrighteousness cause us to do? Verse 18 says that we suppress that truth. As truth comes to us from God's word, our natural reaction as sinners is to suppress it. Okay, more on suppressing in a moment, so hold on to that. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Then notice that Paul says that God has revealed himself through creation in verse 20. Through what he has made, the triune God has revealed these two things about himself. One His eternal power, second, his divine nature. So even if you don't know the God of the Bible, you don't know that he's the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, or that his covenant name is Yahweh, or that he's the, the God of Israel, you can know two things about God, Paul says. You may not know much about God, but he says you can know these two things, his divine nature and eternal power. So let's talk about those two things, his divine nature. What does it mean that God has a divine nature? It means that he is holy, that he is separate, that he is distinct, that he is set apart from us. He is of a different nature than we are. 
We are created beings. He is the creator. He is completely different from all of his creation. That's what the word holy means, to be different, set apart, distinct, separate. To be of the divine nature means to be of another nature, completely distinct from the nature of creation. God is set apart from his creation. He is of divine nature and we are not. Second aspect of God's revelation of himself through creation is this, his eternal power. God's power is eternal. It is not temporal. It is not like anything in this world. His power is not like Hulk Hogan picking you up and body slamming you in a wrestling ring. His power is not like the atom bomb. His power is not like one of the world's strongest men, Magnus Vermagnuson. Why didn't I get those Magnus genes? God's power is not like anything in this world. He is not like Hulk Hogan. He is not like Magnus Vermagnuson. He is not like the atomic bomb. Don't compare him to any other kind of power. So you may not know much about God, but from creation, if you walk around and look around, Paul says you can gather these two things about God. He is divine in nature, different from us, and he has eternal power. His nature is different from all of creation. His power is different from all of creation. He is in a category all on his own. But then notice what Paul says that humanity does with this information about God. When we see and understand that he's of a different nature, when we see that he has eternal power, look at verse 18. Paul says, what do we do with that information? He says we suppress that truth. So even though creation is yelling and screaming at us and saying, God has eternal power. God is of a divine nature. Even though creation is updating its status on Facebook every day and saying, God has eternal power. God is of divine nature. He is not like you. What do we do with that? We suppress that truth. We push the truth down like a jack-in-the-box. When the revelation of God pops up to us in creation... Or through his word, what do we do with that as sinners? We suppress that truth. We push it down. It's our way of exerting our own power. Like a jack-in-the-box toy, which I've been playing with recently with our youngest daughter, Piper. And you push it down. That's what we all do with God. The Apostle Paul, me, you, your grandmother who knits you socks every year at Christmas, your little bundle of joy that you feed a bottle and then you have to change their diaper. All of humanity is busy about the business of suppressing the truth of God. So what Paul is trying to tell us here, he's trying to get this point across. Drown out what you know of God and you will drown in your sin. If you try and suppress and ignore, la, 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 what you know about God, it will destroy you. Why? Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. What you think when you think of God will affect everything in your life. Look at verse 22. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, let's get our bearings again. Paul has said that God has clearly revealed his divine nature and eternal power through creation. Creation is screaming at us that God has eternal power, that God's of a divine nature. He's different from us. Creation is yelling that at us, but all of humanity hears that, takes that truth, and all of us suppress that truth. But get something straight here. Suppression never stays suppression. It always becomes exchanged. Did you see that in verse 23? If you keep suppressing something, eventually, Paul says, you will exchange it for something else that is untrue. If you suppress the truth that God is creator long enough, you will exchange that truth for the lie that God is a creature. You will come up with your own ideas about God. You will craft him into being what you want him to be like. And you might even go so far as to make an image of a bird, a man, or an animal and call it God and worship it. That's why Paul desperately wants us to know that if you drown out what you know of God, you will drown in your sin. It's the way Bono of U2 sings in their song, Until the End of the World. And I think he's quoting artist Frida Kahlo. He says, in my dream, I was drowning my sorrows, but my sorrows, they learned to swim. It's the same with trying to suppress the truth of God. The problem is, eventually, it quits popping up and you exchange it. For another truth. If you try and suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. Why? Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God, because it will determine every dimension of your life. Look at verse 24. Paul continues. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God has revealed through creation that he has eternal power and that he is divine in nature. And yet all of humanity has swept that truth aside. They have not emphasized what God has revealed. And they have suppressed that truth and then exchanged it for a lie. Listen, if we do not emphasize what God has emphasized about himself, then we will exchange what God has revealed about himself for a lie about God. Suppression always leads to an exchange. This is why we must never ignore what scripture says about God because if we push it down like a jack-in-the-box, eventually we'll exchange that truth and begin to worship creation. And it may be you and your thoughts, your girlfriend, your iPod, your spouse, but you will exchange God for creation if you don't think rightly about him. That is why we're doing a series on the Trinity. Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension in your life. If we exchange God as creator for God as a creature, it will affect 
every single human relationship. Look at verse 26 and see how it changed their human relationships. For this reason, because they suppressed the truth and exchanged it for a lie, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Did you see the word exchange there again? That's the third time that Paul has used it. In fact, he says God gave them up, which is a synonym of exchange. He's making the point here. You suppress the truth long enough, you will exchange it. When humanity suppresses the truth about God, It doesn't just stay suppression. It always leads to an exchange. Suppression of truth always leads to an exchange of that truth for a lie. But it doesn't end there. What you think about God, your theology, your view of God doesn't just stay in your head. It ends up in your bedroom. What you think about God, your theology, Paul says, it doesn't just stay up here, Paul says, it actually affects what happens in your bedroom. Paul is saying that if you exchange the true concept of God as creator for the false concept that God is creature, that he is like you, it doesn't remain theological. It affects your relationship with other creatures, other humans, other created beings, other human beings. You will exchange true human relationships for perverted ones. You will exchange true human relationships for false ones. You will exchange proper human relationships for improper human relationships. Understand this, Grace Theology never remains just theology. It always becomes sociology. Theology never just remains theology. It always becomes sociology. How you relate and interact with other human beings. Drown out what you know of God and you'll drown in your sin. If you try and suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God. Because it will determine every dimension of your life. What Paul is saying here is that what you think about God will always affect your human relationships. Therefore, your human relationships are only as true as your view of God is true. Your human relationships are only as true as your view of God is true. Your human relationships are only authentic as your view of God is authentic. There is a one-to-one correlation between your view of God and every relationship in your life. The most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. Sexual, social, personal, 
financial, work-related, church-related. Every human relationship is affected by your theology, by what you think about God. What you think about God affects what happens in your bedroom between the sheets. That's what Paul's saying here. A perverted view of God will lead to perverted relationships. Something that we need to hear loud and clear today. Some of us might be ready to say the amen because of the kind of relationships that Paul is highlighting here. But as one of my professors, I mentioned him, Dr. Jeff Bingham, he calls Romans 1 the Jaws 2 chapter of the Bible. You remember Jaws? Remember Jaws 2? The beaches were cleared out when Jaws came out. You remember that? Do you remember the music? Dun, 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 dun. The genius of Hollywood reigned supreme when the trailer in the tagline for Jaws 2 said this, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water. It applies here. Just in case you are heterosexual and you think this passage doesn't apply to you because you're not a homosexual and you haven't exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones, then the rest of Romans 1 is just for you. Just when you thought it was safe to keep reading in Romans 1, look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If you can't find yourself in this list, your spouse can. (laughs) Or your children, or your neighbor, or a coworker, or someone in your small group. When I candidated here, I should have put these things in bullet point on my resume and said, this is who I am. You see, Paul is no more opposed to homosexuality as he is opposed to coveters, gossips, slanderers, and the prideful. Paul is no more a basher of homosexuality as he is a basher of those who are heartless and faithless and ruthless. Paul is no more a basher of the sexually perverted as he is of those who are disobedient to their parents. Paul is no more a basher of homosexuality as he is a basher of those who slander and gossip about people. Be very careful when you run to this text to condemn homosexuality, but you ignore the verse about gossiping. Be very careful when you run to this text to condemn homosexuality, but you ignore the verse about slandering. Does this passage condemn homosexual relationships? Yes, absolutely. It is not God's created means of relationships. But this passage also drives a nail through gossip and slander. A 
life, you slander people. And you go around talking about people, the elders, the pastors, people in your small group, the Sunday school. Grace did this. They changed this. They're doing this. If you go around slandering people, you are proving that you have suppressed the truth of God that you know. And you keep suppressing it. You exchange it for a lie. And what you end up doing is you are no longer worshiping God in that moment. You are worshiping yourself. A created being. Sin is deceptive. And here's why. Because when you go around slandering or gossiping or being disobedient to your parents or being heartless or ruthless or faithless, when you go around doing those things and there's not repentance and hatred for sin in your life, sin is so deceptive. Sin will deceive you into thinking you're doing the right thing. If you drown out what you know of God, you'll drown in your sin and you won't even know you're drowning. Because everything will seem like it's going well in your life as you slander, as you gossip, as you're disobedient to your parents, as you're heartless, faithless, ruthless. Paul's point here is don't mess around with suppressing and pushing down the truth of God because it always leads to an exchange of that truth for a lie. And when that happens, every dimension in your life, every relationship gets jacked up. Drown out what you know of God and you will drown in your sin and you won't even know you're sinking. If you try and suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. What you think of God will determine your ethics, your sexuality, how you talk, how you relate to your parents, how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ, how you perceive others, it will affect everything. Your view of God will determine everything that you believe. Your eschatology, your cosmology, your anthropology, your soteriology, your Christology, the doctrine of God is the foundational doctrine upon which all other Christian doctrine sits. If the doctrine of God, if the doctrine of the Trinity is wrong or misconstrued, it will affect every other doctrine and everything in your life. That's why we're doing this series. Because the scriptures have revealed God as Father, Son, and Spirit. One God eternally existent in three persons. What we're going to do in this series is look at God, go study the deep things of God, and then I'm going to call you and call myself to believe it, to believe the testimony of the apostles and prophets as recorded in Scripture. I'm not going to call you to fully understand and fully comprehend and come to grips with the mystery of the Trinity. I'm going to call you to believe it because we are a people of faith. Will you believe the testimony of the apostles and the prophets as recorded in Scripture. Drown out what you know of God, and you'll drown in your sin. If you try and suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. Why? Because the most important thought that you will ever think 
is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. Sin is deceptive. It will deceive you. It will give you a hardened heart and you won't even know that you're drowning. Now, let's let the gospel have a moment here because we all do some form of Romans 1 here. We are all born sinners, so let me talk to those of you who aren't Christians and aren't disciples. The Bible's very clear here. The wrath of God has been revealed against all of unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. That's everybody. We're born rebels. We live lives of rebellion. We've turned away from our creator, but he has not turned away from us. He sent Jesus to live the life we could never live, to die the death that we all deserve. He raised him from the dead to give us hope. Will you turn from your sins? Will you repent and run to Jesus? He will forgive you of your sins. He will embrace you. You will be adopted into the family of God and God will rejoice over you with singing. Will you do that today? The only other option is to keep turning away and then to find yourself one day in eternal hell, suffering under the eternal power of God. I don't want that for any of you. Now let me talk to those of you who have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, and you are always repenting of your sins daily. That's all of us here who are Christians. Here's where the gospel comes to play, is that we do all of this, and God in his great mercy says, I forgive you. When we call out and say, God, forgive me, I've done it again. I've slandered, I've gossiped. If you slandered people here, you've gossiped about people here or at your workplace, if you've been heartless and ruthless and you're a Christian, you just come and say, God, I did it again. Please forgive me. And he freely forgives you in the gospel. That's what this table is all about. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a moment for you to say, God, search me. Is there an area where I've done this? Oh, yes, there is. God, please forgive me. And then this is to be a time of celebration of God forgiving us, of God giving us more of his grace as we eat from the table, as we eat the bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus that he lived in a human body and the perfect death and the blood that was shed to wash away our sins and make us right with the Holy God. This can be a time of celebration today for those who would turn to Jesus for the first time and to those who would turn once again like we do every single day. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for your word. We have all suppressed the truth that we know about you We have all exchanged that for a lie. We do it often. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Show us the idols that we worship. Some of us are people pleasers, God, and we care more about what people think about us than what you do. Some of us live in the fear of man. Some of us are prideful. Some of us are ruthless disobedient to parents, slanderers, gossips. We are all of these things, and yet because of Jesus, you call us your children. What an amazing truth that we come to you dirty, and you embrace us, and you clean us up. Thank you for that, God. May you get great glory as we feast on your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen.